Good afternoon. Welcome to the Camp Creative Show. We're on Channel Radio every Tuesday at 4 o'clock. My name is Nathalie Banex and we discuss arts, culture, creativity with various people who work and live in, uh, in Kent. We are recording from Creek Creative in Faversham, like uh, we do most times. And today we have two guests. We are going to talk to Debbie Sauter, a music specialist, and with artist Rob Turner. So Hello. good afternoon. Thank you Hello. for coming. Hello there. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. So Debbie, you are the founder of Together Talking Music, I am, an yes. independent music specialist, tutor, facilitator and mentor, Yes, covers a lot. Yes. To describe what you do, you say, I love to bring music and singing to as many as possible, helping individuals to grow and reach their own fullest potential using music, singing and drama as a tool. <laughs> Rob, you describe yourself as an artist and map maker, and you work mainly in public art. That's right, yes. Before we go into more details about what you each do, would you like to tell us a bit more about yourself, your background, and what took you to what you are doing today? Who would like to start? Um, well, I went to St Martin's School of Art, and I left in 1984. Uh, I then went on to uh, paint murals with a friend. We had a company together. Murals became mosaics, uh, mosaics became sculptures and landscaping and general art in the public realm. Having studied as a painter, I've taken a very different pathway from, a, from an artist selling paintings in galleries. Yeah, you have. And yourself, Debbie, what took you to, did you grow up in a musical environment? Um, strangely enough, I didn't, no. Nobody in my family were musical, and, but my grandmother used to have a, an old piano in her front parlour, mm. and um, so I used to tinkle about on that when I was about four or five years old. Um, and then at primary school, I had a head teacher um, who gave me some free piano lessons, uh, didn't start off too well, but um, he carried on giving me some lessons. Um, it's hard work. It was hard work. Mm, yeah. um, and I carried on with music. Um, I went on to play um, the clarinet and saxophone after that. Um, but um, I think what it was for me was because um, when I was a child, I had something called selective mutism. I didn't know what that was then. Um, I do now, but it's episodes of not being able to communicate easily. It's kind of like a high anxiety disorder. So music soon become a, a tool oh. where I could use it as a form of communication in a safe environment. So that is the kind of thing that drives me to do. But how I did you find out that music could help you? Um, it was just a safe way of being able to, to speak through music, to join social groups, um, through all sorts of, of avenues really. Um, then when I went to secondary school I was told that um, I wanted to become a, a music teacher and I was told no you can't become a music teacher, they, they just didn't have enough people wanting to do music A level at that time. So um, at that time he was kind of given the option to become a nurse or a secretary oh, okay. so I chose to become a secretary worked in London as a PA for quite a few years um, but then it um, been frustrating it was very frustrating but I carried on playing music in bands and oh, on orchestras and things I never gave it up 
But then uh, I got to a certain age and decided, okay, I'm going to take the leap. Um, threw everything up in the air, threw my job in, and um, decided to throw myself on some courses. And um, one of the courses I went on was um, a kinder music course at Kingston University, where I learnt about a method of teaching called Kadai. And on my final day, I had to give a presentation, <laughs> and I was absolutely terrified about giving a presentation. And I walked into the room and um, burst into tears. Wow. <laughs> and so uh, the tutor just stood there and, and she turned around and she just said to me, he who jumps off the cliff learns how to fly. Mm. So that just struck me and that stayed with me and that's what I did and I, I went for it. And it's kind of gone around a convoluted route to yeah. get to what I'm doing today, but that's what drives me teaching children. So it's facing your fear yeah. and doing something. So did, did the, the fear or the anxiety reduce? Um, yes, it has. Yes, definitely. Um, As a result, I mean, of taking action and I don't yes. ask for your... Yeah, your I mean, every little step. I mm. think the best steps that you take mm. throughout life are the ones that give you the most fear because they're the things that you learn lessons from and you grow and you develop that way. So, so did you end up doing this presentation? I did, yes. On the same day? On the same day. Just yes. after she said that to you? Yeah, it Good. just struck something and that stayed with me throughout. So, yeah. Rob, you must have had to do presentations as well to get commissions. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I mean, I wondered if it was a presentation or a performance. I couldn't quite tell what you meant there, really. It, Did you have to sing for them or play for them? or? I had to teach other teachers, so um, do like a music workshop a music to other workshop, teachers. Yeah. So I guess it was part of that um performing in front of your peer group yes. as well that makes things quite yeah i think a presentation is a bit like a performance in a way because you, mm. you prepared it you you, mm. you thought it through um you want to make the points that you've identified are the things that you feel are important mm. and then you make your presentation and somehow or other you get steered away the conversation goes into areas that you don't you hadn't prepared for, and it, it kind of changes from all of your plans mm -hmm. uh, in, a, in an uncontrolled way. Mm. Um, but there is also competition sometimes in prep, because you know one person is going to get it. It's not that easy to put yourself forward with your art. I mean, other times I've gone into interviews and I've said to myself, I mustn't be deviating from my plan, and I, I need to make my points and you come away and you don't get the job and you think, well, maybe I should have gone with the flow. I should have rolled yeah. with the conversation a little bit, been less worried about my gender. And I don't know which is the best route to go along, really. Mm. Um, well, it depends what works for. Yes, how, how, how the people on the committee are as a, as a group. It's, it's difficult to judge. Mm. What did you do? Were you well prepared for this presentation? I was, but I probably deviate off of my yes. my plans. But I think that's um, I do a lot of teaching, um, teaching music in um, key stage one, key stage two, and very often you go into a session and you've got got it all planned out as to how you you think it's going to go, but very often you have to change that um, because 
maybe the ideas you want the ideas to come from the children so you have to keep it really flexible from that extent so that you can get the creativity coming from them um, I think that's really really important um, because I have I come from a very inclusive background and I did my training with um, some training with the amazing chicken shed inclusive theatre company in London and they teach a methodology and philosophy of in inclusivity in teaching. So can you and say more about that? Um, What's inclusive in, in this uh, sense? It's I guess the best way I can describe it from my experience is you see everyone as an individual and you see them from the inside out and you try and, and just to see that one thing that that child or person has inside and you try and draw that out of them using mm. drama or, or other methods um, and it's just such a brilliant philosophy that um, I worked setting up an outreach project in, in Gravesham in Kent called Woodshed Theatre Company and it was Chicken Shed's second outreach project in the UK so I helped set that up um, with another lady called Sue Charles, who was artistic director, and I was musical director. And it got to the stage after three years, and I thought, oh, I'm only really reaching about 60 children a week, and it was the same children. How can I extend that philosophy? How can I get it out there more in the community? And what I'm doing now, it's, it's brilliant, because I'm able to, to reach thousands of children over the years. And, so are um, you using this philosophy in yeah, your teaching? Yeah, all the time. And it's amazing what you can get out of the children and, and you just see them growing in confidence and self-esteem and it's just, it's so fulfilling to be able to do that. Um, that's the uh, arts though, isn't it? I, yeah, I, I think, exactly. I, I think yeah. that's what happens, you know, people... Uh, I've had children who have suddenly discovered that a black felt marker is a brilliant thing. Yeah. So they've come to your workshop and they've discovered that this black felt marker is just an extension of their arm and they draw all over your nicely prepared work, other people's drawings. Um, and it's because they probably haven't had the chance to have a black felt pen at home. Mm. And now yeah. there's lots of them and they're all different colours and this is really fun. Uh, and it's all over your work, it's all over other people's work, and you have to kind of draw the balance and say, your daughter's having a lovely time, but she's actually scribbling over something that's a much larger piece of work, uh, and it's really difficult to manage the, that, that situation. But a lot of things that you talk about with your work are, are very mm. similar to mine. Have, watching other people's good ideas, I think, is that what you meant? Waiting, watching and looking and seeing what other people's good ideas are recognising them and then drawing it growing that and growing yes. it. yeah and using a lot of positivity and and if um there's someone that's lacking in confidence and self-esteem the positivity is such a huge part of the inclusive process as well to to help them help them grow but um yeah you're right what you're saying the arts all the arts is such a, a fantastic therapy tool aren't they for the children and adults and, you said that you use um, music from Africa. Mm, yes. After you had a, a trip, uh, where was it in Africa? I went um, to a little province called Mpamalanga in southern Africa. Um, most amazing experience. Um, and I taught in a, a primary school. 
So we just shared songs and music, and it was such a different culture. Yeah. Um, quite life changing, really. So. Yeah, their harmonies are just amazing as well. It's very natural harmonies. Um, we'd the school would start at about uh, quarter past seven in the morning, and we'd all meet outside in the playground. The whole school, and um, the whole the day would be starting off by singing together in harmonies, including all the teachers. And it just has such a, a wonderful atmosphere out there. So, can you share something really memorable that happened, maybe to? A couple of children that you taught to and who maybe transformed something within themselves that really impressed you? Yes, um, I've had a couple of experiences actually, well lots of experiences yeah, sure. but there are a couple that that really do stick out. In fact um, what I often do is I get evaluations from teachers sometimes and I'm surprised happily surprised what I get back and I brought brought some in today Absolutely. actually. Yeah. Um, I had one um, from a teaching assistant at a primary school and she said one child in year three or four class I worked with when he was in reception and he didn't speak. Um, I was asked to watch the class while the TA was elsewhere. I heard them sing fight song and this child sang his little heart out in your music session every word. It was very emotional. The child hugged me at the end. Mm-hmm. And then I get um, had a little thing the other day, actually, from year three. And uh, I, I sometimes work with children with behavioural difficulties and emotional difficulties in schools. And they'll only have a short session of music, but this little one come up afterwards and she said, um, every day when I feel down and I come to music, I feel happy. I don't know why. It's just <laughs> fun. And it's just little things like that. And you think... And as you say, Rob, it's what happens with artistic expression in, in general. Yeah, I think maths and math, well, maths lessons are to be avoided. But if you come in with music or you come in with huge, great big paintbrushes and pots of paint, mm. there's a that's a plus. You know, this is exciting. This is something we've not done before. So we're not an advantage in a way compared to a regular teacher who's just doing a curriculum and it's not inspiring a particular child for whatever reason. Mm. But you turn up with a pot of paint and some brushes, then they're happy. Then mm. the engagement straight away. Don't you work on your own most of the time, Rob? Don't work on my own. No, I'm all. Every client is different. Every project is different. Every working group is different. Um, yes, different clients, different agendas, different funding, different places, different people. It's uh, very. Every project is very, very different. Okay, well, tell us about public art, because some of our listeners might not know exactly what it is if you're not in the creative field. So how would you describe it and the nature of your work? Yes, well, it's art that's always outside in the public realm. So it would be in a park or a museum, a station, a hospital, those kinds of public venues. Um, And very often... The projects are funded by local governments or central money. So in a way, I'm spending taxpayers' money on art outside. Um, And that comes with a sort of degree of responsibility. Um, Because you don't really want people with negative, or that gives art a bad name. There's a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes sort of political 
um, delicacies that goes on behind. Art touches science, it touches literature, it touches history, legend, music. But on top of that, public art seems to bump into uh, political correctness, funding agendas, stakeholder agendas. So it can become quite complicated. Um, but at the same time, it's a fantastic thing to do. I've met lots of people and been lots of lots of places. So tell me about the um, the your reasons for working in public art rather than doing your own work and sell your work in commercial galleries. And well, that's one of that's one of those funny little life journeys that you never planned. Uh, I started off training as a painter, expecting to, to sell galleries, paint, sell paintings in galleries. Um, I had a friend who knocked on my door one day and said, uh, I'm painting a mural, do you want to help? So I said yes, and I think I took that leap of faith you're talking about, mm. where you resign your job and you say, yes, this is, this is me becoming an artist now, mm. um, and you start your new life. And it's all very scary, isn't mm. it, at that point, yeah, where you're... Scary leaving behind a regular wage or whatever security there is. Um, uh, and ever since then, I've worked on public art projects, murals, mosaics, sculptures. But was it because you had a response that you found really satisfying? Yeah, I think I must have. it must have been in there without me knowing. I, I, I like working with people. I like all the different kind of uh, brief, the, the things that go into an artist's brief. I like to knit those all together to make a piece of work that fulfills all that criteria. It's very different from just being left alone to go away in your corner and paint your picture. I think I struggled with that a little bit at college and I I just went off around Europe, you know, looking at art galleries and you know, ne never being at college. So that total freedom in a way was a bad thing for me. Um, but when you're given a brief of some kind, then I was able to focus my work and my ideas and do research for a particular reason and it seemed to, seemed to work much better for me. So how do you get the various commissions that you get? Do you go and suggest things or are you well, having a regular list? There's probably two routes of getting work. There's one where you, you keep your eye open on the adverts. There's call for artists. I'm sure your, your industry probably has this. Trade magazines have mm -hmm. opportunities. Mm. So you'll you're read all the opportunities and then you, you pick the ones that you can have an idea for or, or think that your experience is relevant and then you write your ideas off. You send off a small portfolio, you write out what your plans are, what your ideas for the job are and then you get the interview or you don't. Uh, the other way to get work is through previous contacts where you've done the work for someone before years later they might come back for something else. It's sort of a word of mouth thing. Yeah, I think the word of mouth thing when you're in the creative industry is so, so important and networking with other people in the creative industry is so, that's paramount really, isn't it, as well. I tend yes. to find that's where a lot of my work comes from is, is word of mouth. And, oh, could you get involved in this project? And there, there is always something I wonder with people like yourself who work mainly on the commissions is that there is a requirement that you're doing something that is wanted by something else, which is slightly different from many artists who just do what they want to do. Mm. And then you go and offer what you've done. Mm -hmm. In your case, you need to answer somebody's need mm. or requirements. How do you feel about it? Can you still put a lot of your personal uh, work in it? 
sometimes it depends on the client sometimes sometimes you you can't put any in and the brief is very very strict and you have to I don't know, depict the town's heritage its history the people elements about famous buildings in the town and it becomes quite quite a, a small parameter to work within other jobs are very flexible uh, very open and you can invent things as you go along uh, and some are in the middle it, it's a really broad broad area so is there any of the project you worked on that you remember particularly fondly something you really enjoyed <laughs> it's funny when you when you say things like that it's sort of the, it's the bad things or the things that go wrong that come Are to you, your memory first yeah. of all <laughs> come on what's that then <laughs> what the ones that went wrong yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> A funny story. Well, I do. I do remember working with a, a school. Um, it was called the Transition Group. Who um, they were not in med, in mainstream education. They were they were perhaps autistic. They had ADHD. Uh, English wasn't their first language, and all these children were put into one particular class called the Transition Group. And my role was to make the school garden with them, um, and it was a two-year ongoing project. And during the design process, I think they thought that the design process was probably taking a little bit too long. And that what they wanted to do was to go out with spades and pickaxes and actually do some hard landscaping and mix some concrete and cut some wood. And this particular lesson, there's an episode of Porridge where there's a prison riot and everybody turns the tables over and all the food is thrown around the plant, all around the kitchen and the canteen. Well, my lesson was exactly like that. And the, the tables went over, all our little plasticine models were thrown around and the pencils went up in the air and it was just a complete free-for-all like a prison riot. Um, which apparently was not unusual. <laughs> it just happened to me and I felt really bad about it, but it had happened before with that group. Um, so how did you manage that? Well, it all calms down and it all comes together again. And, you know, the headmaster comes in and tells everybody off and it all simmers down. And then you're back to work as if it hadn't happened. Okay. And I guess that sometimes um, when you have a plan, if you, if you go into a classroom and, yes, you have the outline plan, but to keep it flexible when you're working within a creative environment is sometimes really important um, and to kind of go with what what they are looking for, really, and adjust the session. Yes. And that's kind of what the inclusive philosophy kind of tells you. You know, that's what that's about. <laughs> um, and it's, it's a really helpful methodology yes. to use. Um, and I think when you're working with children with um, <clears throat> special needs or, you know, physical impairments, autism, Asperger's... Um, it's you can kind of feel get more of a feel kind of of where where they're going kind of thing you get to read them and you can read the the situation that's kind of coming and you learn to oh, okay right what do I do now and let's just adjust this so that yeah yeah, yeah I mean it was uh, an unusual experience it did take me by surprise I hadn't quite encountered oh, yes. anything like that before yeah. um but you're with the teachers, you know, you're not in the class on your own. You have the, the full-time staff with yeah. you who were less concerned about it than I was, I have yeah. to say. They'd I guess seen they've it seen before. it a lot, aren't yeah. they? Yes. Um, but it was a bit of an experience. I mean, to think of something that positive, <laughs> I did want to say something positive. Um, I remember working in a school where uh, 
we'd made a big installation in the school hall and it was just at that point where the parents were going to come along and have a look but before the parents came the school governors came the head came round and a woman came up to, to me and she said uh, I've never seen anything like this in 37 years of teaching and she meant that in a really nice way it was a, this was an extraordinary project uh, and I've been teaching a long time and I've not seen anything like that and I thought you know that's Really good to hear. And what was the project? Tell us about well, it the was sort a, of things that you actually it was, made. It was, a, it was a, a rainforest. A rainforest made of cardboard. Mm. Um, so the, the plan behind it, you described it as well, where you train up a little sort of group of people who are then advocates for the project that go out into the rest of the school mm -hmm. and train the rest of the school up. Yeah. So the artist or the musician doesn't have to go into every class and repeat the same thing. Mm. Um, there's a trained group of students or pupils that then pass on that knowledge. Um, and that seems, that's cheaper, isn't it, really? Because you don't have to employ artists for five days, really. You can employ them for one. So it works as a model really well in schools. Um, so they made a rainforest out of cardboard tubes and the, the inside of carpets, you have those core round columns. Uh, they collected cardboard uh, and they made monkeys hanging in trees. They made all the sort of flowers and leaves. My role really became about making it stable so that people could walk in and out underneath. Mm. So it was a sort of something that you could... Interactive. Yes, role. walk amongst. Yeah. Rather than view it, you were walking through it, if that makes it... So a, it was yeah. large. It was, it was a, a hall, oh. a school hall full of stuff. Um, it was quite an interesting project, yeah. Well, that's when you get a direct response to it like that. Mm. It's very, very nice. Yeah, some parents came in and they brought their neighbours along to see it and the grandchildren and people were going around in pushchairs in and out the trees. So it was a proper installation, yeah. Mm. Now, when I first met you a few years ago, you were, at the time, maybe very involved in mosaics, but you, you still... Yeah, I think mosaic. If I, if I said I had a, a, I was a master craftsman at anything, it would be mosaics. That's my sort of extra skill, not extra skill. It's a, it's an area that I'm an expert in, um, and I've probably been making mosaics for twenty years, something like that. Uh, Specialising in sort of large scale town centre type mosaics that you might get. Quite often, they're quite civic. I think it's quite often that the local council want their heritage displayed in mosaics so that it lasts a long time. Is there any one in, in Kent that maybe people could go and have a look at? There will be there? some in Herne Bay. Uh -huh. um, Herne Bay, clock, Friends of the Clock Tower in Herne Bay have commissioned me to make, well, to tell the story of the town um, in mosaic. So I'll have five or six mosaics. It's called the Clock Tower Plaza. Um, and there'll be key key elements of Herne Bay made in mosaic, in, in, inserted into the paving, HLF funding, Heritage Lottery yeah. money. Right. When are you going to work on that? Um, I'm hoping it will all be done by the autumn. I haven't begun them yet. There's okay. still talk about the groundworks and the preparation, so imminently. Okay, exactly. Because yeah. obviously, you, I guess you, you work outside Kent, obviously. 
Yes, I've worked oh. in England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales. Yes, yeah. They be... When you describe what you do, it looks like it's not really for a, a, a public or an audience, people who could come and... Or um, do you sometimes organise things with a performance that people can attend? A final I, concert or a final choir or something? Yeah, I, the main thing I, I do is that I'm Key Stage 1, Key Stage 2 specialist. So I go in and I teach whole class singing and group keyboards, um, sometimes a bit of songwriting. Um, I do CPD sessions for teachers in schools and teaching them the Key Stage 1 music curriculum. Um, and that takes up quite a lot of my time, but then I, I do other projects as well. Um, I do a, an adult singing group called, um, I hadn't done an awful lot of work with adults, and, and I was a bit out of my comfort zone working with adults as opposed to children, and I thought I must go into that area and, and have a go. So last year I started up a, a group called um, Can't Sing, Can Sing, the people that were really nervous about singing and um, really a bit worried about it. Um, so I do weekly, weekly singing groups for adults. Um, this one's in uh, St Mary's Island in Rochester on Tuesday evenings from 7.30 to 8.30. And it's just to build people's confidence up with singing. Um, and that's a lovely, a lovely thing to be able to work with adults. Completely yeah. different to working with children. And it builds their confidence in other things, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I have people um, come in and they, they say, um, oh, I've had a really hard work, hard day at work today. And, oh, okay, all that's gone now. All that pressure, all that stress has, has been lifted. And that's what's so wonderful about singing and music. It, people forget everything that's happened, you know. So are, are these adults coming because they want to? Yes. They've chosen to come along. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm doing something in June, which is called One Voice, One Day, and it's a voluntary thing that I'm doing. Um, it's a community project, and it, the aim is just to bring people together singing for half a day to get the, the feel-good factor. Um, so I'm, it's in aid of um, Demelza's Hospice, Demelza Hospice. Um, so I'll be leading the children's workshops with, together with Sue Childs, from who I met with uh, Chicken Shed, and Lucky Moyo, who's an amazing uh, choir leader. He runs Swell Sings. He's going to be leading the adults with a guy called Bob Carling from the Acoustic Architects, and is also co-director of Hopping Down in Kent Community Folk Opera which actually we performed here last year at the Faversham Pop Festival. Um, and that's that's amazing to be involved with that. Um, so yes, that's coming up in, in June at Swingate Primary School in Lordswood in Chatham. Which day in June? It is, I'm just trying to think when it is now. Um, it is on Saturday the 17th of June from 1pm to 6pm. So if there is anyone that wants to be involved, they can reach me via my website, which is, is it okay to give my website? Absolutely. It's www.togethertalkingmusic.co.uk. So they just need to contact me via there, all the information's there about the One Voice One Day. Um, I'm also expanding, I'm helping a company called Glee Club 
UK at the moment that run adult singing groups and choirs and we're looking to expand in Kent as well and they're all about getting the feel-good factor of music so at the moment we're looking for um, prospective choir leaders to to come and uh, come and help us so if anyone's interested in that please do get in contact again it's on my website and the contact details and information are all on there Right, I'd like to ask you a couple of just questions, but you know, general. Um, for instance, um, what you like best about what you do? First thing that comes to mind, something positive, right? Yeah, I, I like going around the country meeting people. It's fantastic. Um, I've worked in many towns all over the country. I like that. I can have conversations with people about towns I've been to where they used to live they tell me that they used to live there and I, and I know it I think that's great um, the range of people I've worked with fascinating I think the best thing for me is to watch children and people grow um, that's, that gives me personal fulfilment and that's what drives me keeps me going um, it's just nothing better I think right. than to just to see a child leave with a big smile on their face at the end of the session or an adult that's, you know... Make really a change. A time. Yeah, yeah. Seeing people make changes and growing is, is um, being able to help that through music. And what do you find most difficult, most challenging? It's the same answer. The people you work with. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Not the same people. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, the situations change from job to job, and some of them are, are quite challenging. Um, so, yes, it's, it's the people, it's the brief, uh, the situation that you're working in uh, can be really challenging. Yeah. Often people come up with, you know, the administration part of the job that doesn't always yes. fit in the mind of an artist. It's presenting yourself, how to present yourself, I find quite challenging. I don't know, do, do you have to justify what you do to win the contracts and tell people how you're going to do it and what you will deliver and when it will be done Some, by? Sometimes, yes, you go in, yes, this is what I do and this is how I do it. But I think if you have a firm belief, in, really believe in what you're doing and you're doing it for the right reasons, then... I actually feel that it's quite a challenge to go in somewhere completely new and and to stand up and do it and say, hey, look, this works this way, look, and very often it does. Um, and that part of the job I, I find quite challenging, but it is the bit I come away and, yes, I'm convinced <laughs> Yes, winning, winning the contract <laughs> is a great feeling, isn't it? Yeah. What about the business side of things? Mm. Yeah, I find being freelance self-employed is it's got its upsides and its downsides. You've got the freedom of it, which is wonderful. Um, you've got that you can take it anywhere you want to, but also on the downside, it can be financially really hard. So, you know, during the summer months for me, it's really difficult because I don't get paid during the summer school holidays. So I have to look for other bits and pieces to do. Um, so from that aspect that you never know from one year to the next how much work you're going to get but in another way that's the beauty of it 
it's so lovely being able to be flexible um, and I think if you're creative and you're in the arts there's a real deep need to have that isn't there yeah no that's right if you're self-employed you you can um, schedule your time to do exactly what you like within a reason um, and that's a great part of the job I, I can go and research something that I find interesting just because I want to uh, which is a lovely position to be in. Do you sometimes come up with uh, an idea and then walking through a town and thinking, oh, that would be great to have a certain piece of work in that park or in that street or in that building, and you would approach <laughs> the council or maybe the owner of the building or, and make a suggestion? It did happen at the Kent Wildlife Trust. Um, I used to walk my dog in the woods, and uh, I loved walking the dog in the woods that that experience was a really lovely thing and I bumped into the warden the employed by the wildlife trust and I, I talked to him and he introduced me to a to another worker uh, she was a sort of a community side to the Kent Wildlife Trust and I ended up becoming artist in residence with the Kent Wildlife Trust working in Thorndon Woods um, and that was about an 18 month project and that was really just about talking to somebody, um, finding out, and right time, right place, I think. Mm. I think that's um, that's quite a, a big thing, really, isn't it? You have to be at the right place at the right time sometimes to get some of the work. Mm. There is There is quite a lot of luck involved, I think, when you're in the arts. Yes, well I'm sure if I'd have written to them, yeah, well. if I'd have written to them, they probably wouldn't. It wouldn't have worked. Mm. It was. It came in through a relaxed way. Mm. Um, yes. Yes, it's a people thing. Mm. Uh, you were saying that what you enjoy most is meeting people, talking to people, and now you see something came into reality because of somebody you met. That's something I found out, obviously, mm. often. It's all about people and who you yes. meet and relationship oh, you build with yeah. people. So It did for me. That's kind of how I've ended up doing what I'm doing because it all come about. It's a bit of serendipity, really. Um, I went and um, did a course down in Dartington called Write an Opera with the Royal Opera House. And um, luckily this space came up to go down there and, and do it. Fantastic course, worked with some amazing people. And uh, Kevin Rainey, who was the education manager for the Royal Opera House at that time, um, I just was having a chat with him during one of the breaks. And I said, oh, I really would like to do some more work in, in Kent. And he put me in touch with um, a lady called Helen McGregor, who's um, a music specialist, and she writes brilliant books for um, Key Stage 1, Key Stage 2, called Music Express. So she came to observe a, a keyboard session that I was doing in Kent. I wasn't doing much work at that time. And then she put me in touch with the local music hub dynamics with the local authority, and they said, oh, yes, we'll give you a go for, let's do 10 weeks in a couple of schools. And 13, 14 years later, <laughs> I'm still doing it. So it was just by that one chance, really. Meeting. And also that person who said to you these few words just before you yes, did the presentation. Yes, absolutely. Those things, just those little things. By, by doing things sometimes that are completely out of your comfort zone, 
they are the things that that push you forward and help you grow um, yeah it's uh, we discussed that before on another show is about growing expanding your comfort zone mm. Yeah. Not to just get out and back in, but to do things regularly so it expands. Yeah, And you're more comfortable in more situations. Keep taking those small steps. And, yeah. and fight the fear. So mm-hmm. you get used to something because you know it. And mm. if you keep doing it, you feel more comfortable. Absolutely, yeah. Is there anything yeah. you're really uncomfortable with, Rob? Um... I seem to walk the plank on every job I do. Really, it's a bit sort of into the unknown on everything. Um, I think, I think, I think. What is it? going back to that question about what feels good about your work? It is that people are prepared to trust you, even though you don't know what you're going to deliver. Uh, they're prepared to trust you and pay you, and they don't know what the outcome will be, particularly. Um, but the comfort zone thing, yes, I suppose. Uh, I can't have ideas for things that I don't know about. Um, so there is a parameter to, but I, I think working with other people, they do take you to places. I think that's the thing, certainly with my work, I don't know about yours, but working with people who are untrained in the arts, because that's what I, what I get. I go to work with communities who probably got social problems on the estate, um, and you work as a, as a team, as a community to, to create something, you know, a piece of art or a landscape garden or whatever the focal point might be. Uh, and these people are untrained and they haven't got the kind of stigma. They don't know what the rules are in art. And they just come at it very fresh, very sincere. And I go with their ideas because they're, they're the ones that have got the local knowledge. They're the ones that have got the, the passion for the area. And I listen to them and I work with, with their ideas. So in a way, I walk off the cliff. Or I come out of my comfort zone on every project it, in that respect um, and work with with other people's they, they don't know the rules they, they haven't got the stigma it's brilliant so do you work sometimes on collaborative projects where several artists yeah deliver yeah, yeah. each artist is responsible for a disparate different aspect yeah. um, and the brief will normally say that you, you you tie this all together and the theme is constant through I don't quite know if that works out this in reality all the time but uh, I certainly have worked with with I've worked with musicians and writers and poets uh, so yeah a broad range of projects like that yes and I'd like you to talk a bit about the maps the maps how did that come about yeah I did because I do so many different things sometimes it's mosaic sometimes it's sculpture sometimes it's painting sometimes it's a, a garden design I did not really know how people regarded me because I was so disparate and I looked back at my work and I tried to sort of to think who who was I what did I really do and the maps is something that I've noticed is quite often the core to a lot of my projects going back 10 more years even as a kid I remember being very interested in maps so it's the one thing that I, I can identify as a, as a spine or a core through my artistic world, if you like. Um, and I've decided consciously to kind of highlight that at the moment. Um, so artist and map maker on my introduction is what I'm focusing on. I'm, I make community maps with people. I made a map of my hometown. I made a map of Canterbury. Uh, and I will be making a map of... Um, 
Watchfield, which is a village very close to the Iron Age white horse that's cut into the chalk. Hmm. Um, it's a very small village. They're uh, they're a bit split. This village they've got the they've got the old village which has got cannonballs from the Civil War lodged in the rafters and they're very picturesque thatched cottages. The other side of the village is uh, modern housing. Uh, there's a, a military academy there, uh, and the families come through very quickly. So the, the village is in two halves. There's the old traditional village and the very sort of modern high turnover. And the point of the project is to join the two halves of the village together to generate community spirit, get everybody to know each other and be a little bit harmonious and a bit less frosty to each other. And the map is the thing that brings everybody together because they will be bringing their local knowledge, they'll be indicating the places they know, um, and that's the thing that will draw the community together. So what happens to the map? What is it? Is it a, a large size yes, map it, that's it, exhibited somewhere? It, or it's it probably going to be. It's probably going to be about um, two meters by three meters, and it will go in the community hall. And we'll stay there. And we'll stay there. Yeah, uh, it might knock on to other things as well. Sort of part two to that commission is to generate something that will become the centre of the village feature. I don't know what that feature is yet, but I think the map is a stepping stone towards finding out what the village is all about, what they think, and then that information will then make a sculptural feature for the middle of the village. But the map is the conduit for everything at the moment. What's your um, the one project that you would really like to undertake? Well, I, I really liked working with the Wildlife Trust and, and the, the relationship to nature. I really liked that. Um, it really inspired me at the time. And it, it led on to another project as well, where I worked for uh, the Hampshire Wildlife Trust and made a sculpture trail with them as well. So it wasn't a woodland sculpture trail, it was a wetland sculpture trail. Uh, and I loved, I loved where I found out about plants, I found out about birds and animals and mankind's relationship to these things. And I would love to go back and work in that area again. That was really... I think you can draw so much from nature, can't you? Yeah, I really, really could. Yeah. Mm. Music, yeah. does that... Nature and music? It does. I'm kind of more... Um, I, I love people and I love um, different cultures. Um, and when I went to Africa, that really inspired me to, to see how music was so important in, in different communities in other parts of the world. So I'd love to be able to to um, take it further and not just stay you know, in this area, kind of take it further out and do different projects abroad and, and to see how it works there. And to bring, bring their ideas back too and to share those. Yeah, musicians yeah. do that, don't they? They sort of yeah. go off around the world and they collaborate, <laughs> world music yeah. collaborations. Yeah, yeah it's, it's amazing. It's, it's lovely because it's a universal language, I think, is, music. Yeah. Well, the art song, aren't they? It's an unspoken language that we can all connect with. Mm. Um, yeah, that's what I'd like to do. Can you say a few words about uh, hopping down? Because um, oh, yes, yes. you mentioned your involvement in that one. Yes. <laughs> Last year, I just went along to uh, one of the rehearsals just to have a look to see what it was about. And I was there for about five minutes and 
within five minutes I was roped into <laughs> being a narrator um, and to sing with them as well, which was wonderful because it, it's a community folk opera and the ideas were um, kind of brought together with the people involved, but it's um, co-directed by Bob Carling and Dave Woodward, local musicians. Um, and so we performed at the Faversham Hop Festival last year and this year um, I'm going to be playing the piano for them and singing as well so rehearsing for that at the moment because we're we're performing at the Sweeps Festival in Rochester and also we've been asked to do even more this year at the Faversham Hop Festival so we're very busy rehearsing for that at the moment but it's if anyone wants to get involved with that again it's on my website um, and all the details are there and they've got a wonderful um, website as well Facebook page as well called Hopping Down in Kent um, but yeah it's a lovely community project to be involved in. Do you have um, heroes in the art world? One of my long, long-standing heroes, I think heroes come and go a little bit, but my long-standing one would be Hundesvasa, who's, who's an artist, but he was an architect at the same time. And he's, he built organic buildings. I, I think he said that the, the straight line is the downfall of our civilization. Uh, so all his buildings were wobbly, the floors were uneven, uh, the windows weren't in line, uh, Anything where it could be not straight, organic, bringing... He had trees growing in the windows. He used to call them tree tenants. So he would build a bay on the window. This might be five or six stories high. Build a bay out on the front of the building for a tree to be planted in front of a window, and they were tree tenants. He would have rooftop (laughs) gardens, um, onion domes. Mosaic was a big part. That's how I found out about him, mosaic. He covered his buildings in mosaic. Um, and yeah, just an extraordinary ex- approach. I, I don't know how how he was allowed to do these things. Mm. Building regulations in the UK wouldn't allow it. Mm. Uneven floors and things like that. And I guess that's also where your connection with the nature side of things. Yes, yeah, yeah I'm sure that's from. true. Yeah. Mm. You didn't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> there is a clear connection now you mentioned it, yeah. I even went to Vienna to see where he built, he built a council housing estate um, in his style of this higgledy-piggledy fairy tale kind of place that was council housing. So I was quite interested to see that. And, you know, you, you, you get good feedback and you get bad feedback because, because the windows aren't in line. Sometimes you'd have a window that would be down by your shin. So out on the facade of the building, that looks fantastic where all the windows are random Mm. but inside the building your windows might be down by your shin and that's not where you want the window really is it you want the window at your eye level so you can see out and see Mm. out the view so there was a two-way thing going on there it wasn't ideal in some ways for the people that live there but outside it looked fantastic Mm. that's really interesting that he makes the different shaped buildings because i always think were we meant to live in boxes, really? Well, that's his, that's his philosophy. You're not meant to live in a box. You're, you're meant to live in the forest, on the plains. Yeah, because when we're born, I think we're born with creativity, aren't we? And, and, and somewhere down the line, that's kind of stifled out of us. It's stopped, isn't it, almost? 
Um, and that's so important, isn't it, to keep things fluid and flexible and... Yes, he, yeah. he, one of his philosophies was that the um, that the tenant had what was called window rights, so that they could lean out of their window and whatever they could reach in an arc that they drew was theirs to decorate as they liked. And that was their property to, to colour how they, how they wanted to do it. So you could make your own little statement that was visible out to the public outside. So he was quite you know, liberal and... Uh, He's died. I think he died in two thousand or two thousand one, but the the legacy of the architecture that he's left is mm. I've never seen anything like it in the UK. Mm. Well, you could transform a building yeah, with the same philosophy. Well, I've tried. I've I've sent many proposals out for you know various projects, and yeah, they never happen <laughs> ever. So, Debbie, have you got heroes? Um, well, I guess fine. I was thinking when you asked that question, I think, who are my heroes? And I think um, the two people that I would have to say actually were the two ladies that um, have inspired me the most, and they're the two ladies that set up Chicken Shed. Um, one's called Jo Collins, who was a backing singer, and the other lady's Mary Ward, who um, was a teacher, and they set Chicken Shed up in 1974. Um, and literally they, they set it up in a chicken shed and um, they've just they found out about this inclusive philosophy just by learning about it they had some children that wanted to join with special needs and physical impairments and they said well we're not sure we don't know how to do this so they kind of learnt it on the job and they've just grown and grown and grown it they've now got their own theatre um they um, they're in contact with the local university and, and they're doing a, a degree in inclusive theatre as well now um, and they've set up 19 outreach projects in the UK and they've got one in St Petersburg as well um, and just just their drive to do it and to continue doing it has been amazing and really inspiring and they've just done so much they've changed so many people's lives um, that's that's their kind of tagline theatre changing lives and it really does it's changed mine and I hope lots of others as well do you think you'll ever retire or is it what you're doing something you just need to keep doing yeah I think so yeah I don't think you retire uh, I think you, you follow your ideas you explore things that are interesting to you um, and they come out in some kind of way. I, I don't think I'll ever stop doing that. No. Um, you, As you get older, you might not be running around on scaffolding quite as much as you used to when you were younger and you, your output might change in that respect. Uh, but I think you, artistic people probably modify their outputs according to what they're capable of it's part of you isn't yes. it and it's it's always there and i think you'd be retiring from yourself wouldn't you if, if you were to retire <laughs> I, I know i couldn't do it yes. but yes you, you talk about going up scaffolding etc with your work is quite physical at times yes so do you get help people you work with you or are you actually making every single part of your work um, yeah, sometimes I have to uh, organise a subcontractor who might do the ground works for me. So it might require a, you know, a digger, cement works, paving, people coming in doing ground works. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't put the scaffolding up myself. You know, that would be done. Um, 
So yes, you, when you design something, you design it so that you know which tasks you give yourself and which tasks you give to other people. I think that's the thing. Um, and normally when you're working for a local authority, all that, all that comes out, you have to submit things that are called method statements. So you have to describe how you're going to do everything. Uh, so that becomes very apparent as to where the, who's got those kinds of tasks and where you will solve it. Sometimes, sometimes you're asked to bring all your own connections with you. Um, other times, the council are very happy to uh, to provide their approved contractors working with people that they know rather than mine that they don't know. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah but it must be physical when you build a a trail in the forest. Yeah, and things yeah. that must be quite strongly attached to the ground. I had to I had to carry a ladder over a mile once. I had to hire a ladder. Uh, a three extension ladder and I couldn't put it on my car because I hadn't got a roof rack uh, to tie it onto but the nature reserve I was working on was literally next door to the hire shop but I had to walk all the way around the perimeter carrying a ladder to get into where I needed to mm. so yeah that was harder than I thought it was going to be <laughs> I must admit, you kind of have to adjust as you get older, don't you? You kind of have to think ahead and think. Because I know with me, my work can be quite physical. I do dance and things when I'm, when I'm leading sessions and also working with little ones. It can be very draining when you've got 30 under five-year-olds and you're, <laughs> you're trying yeah, to full of energy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm absolutely shattered when I get home. So sometimes you kind of have to, to think ahead and think, okay, right, I need to pace myself at that part during the day. And also from a physical point of view as well, carrying heavy keyboards around and that can be quite hard. In the, as you you just have to step up to those moments though, don't you? You do. You have to step and up and get through them and come out the other side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. ask for help sometimes as well. Well, thank you very much. Thank we you. are near the end of the show now. So if uh, listeners want to get in touch with you, now, Debbie, you said your website, but would you like to say what it is again? Yes, it's www.togethertalkingmusic.co.uk. And Rob, have you got the website? Mo- yeah, mine is Rob Turner's blogspot. Rob Turner's dot blogspot, I beg your pardon. Dot co dot uk. And I've also got Twitter at Rob Turner and Instagram, the Rob Turner. Are you still publishing your uh, dog walks? The dog died two years ago, so the, the dog walk diary um, stopped. Yeah. It's still up there. It's the, still there. The blog's still the there. Blog, yeah. yeah, there's a link to the to a Walk lovely. with Cosmo, the blog is lovely. called. Yeah. <laughs> you can listen to this show again for a week on the Channel Radio website, channelradio.co.uk. After that, there will be a podcast available on our website, Can Creative, which is cancreativearts.co.uk. You can listen to all the previous shows as, as well. Uh, you can connect with us uh, on Twitter, following Kent Creative Art and using the hashtag Can Creative Show. And we have a Facebook page, Can Creative. So I will see you next week, Tuesday at 4 o'clock on Channel Radio. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.